Welcome back to The World's Game, a World Cup podcast. The Men's World Cup is over, but now it's time for the women. I'm going to have Women's World Cup episodes all summer long, breaking down all the storylines and all the fun. My name is Peter Roman. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And let's dive right in. Welcome back to The World's Game, a World Cup podcast. My name is Peter Roman. Thank you so much for listening. This is going to be part one of my in-depth preview of the Women's World Cup. Unfortunately, I was hoping to have this episode out a lot earlier than when it's going to be released. So by the time you listen to this, the first game is probably over. And the second game of the tournament is also probably over. I apologize for that. My personal schedule ended up being changed quite drastically over the last 24 hours. So I'm recording it now and I'll have it published and ready to go. And then I'll have a part two coming out a little bit later. Part one is just going to have groups A through D. And then part two is going to have groups E through H. So you can look forward to that. And without further ado, let's get into part one. So we have groups A through D of the Women's World Cup that I'm going to preview here. I'm going to dive into all the teams, just things you need to know about the teams, big storylines, things to watch out for, and then I'll have some players to watch as well. So just before we get underway, a quick note that we have a bunch of new teams at the World Cup this year, Haiti, Morocco, Panama, the Philippines, Portugal, Republic of Ireland, Vietnam, and Zambia are all first-time debutants. So very excited to see all of those countries in action for the first time at a Women's World Cup. And now let's get into Group A. So again, I apologize by the time you're listening to this, Norway and New Zealand has probably already happened. But unfortunately, I wasn't able to get this episode out earlier. So we can still talk about the group. So. In Group A, we have the co-hosts New Zealand, we have Norway, we have the Philippines, and we have Switzerland. So, starting with kind of just overall thoughts about the group, I think this is the most wide-open group in the entire tournament. Now, for the Philippines, it's going to be really hard for them this tournament. They're obviously, you know, making their tournament debut. They're also just one of the weaker teams in general in this tournament and in this group. So, it's going to be tough for them. But for the other three, for New Zealand, for Norway, and for Switzerland, I think all three of them have very real aspirations to advance to the next round. We'll start with the co-host New Zealand. So they're kind of a tough team to evaluate, and that's just because they haven't played a ton of competitive football over the last little while. They did play in the She Believes Cup in 2022. Unfortunately, that did not go very well for them, and their friendly results have been very poor including a 5-0 loss to Portugal back in February and Portugal aren't exactly world beaters so there's not a lot of optimism as far as recent results and things like that for New Zealand but there is always the home field advantage factor and that's something that you can't ever totally dismiss because it does give your team a leg up and especially because New Zealand's never hosted something like this And so we're going to have packed crowds for these games. The fans are going to be really into it. And you can't ever discount 
the home field advantage. So that will be the optimistic point of view of New Zealand's chances at this tournament. And ultimately, I mean, we'll have to wait and see, but there's not a lot of footballing optimism from the Ferns, the nickname of New Zealand's team. It's more, you know, can you bring this group together? They have a lot of experienced players, and can they, you know, really step up in front of that home crowd? Especially because they don't have a world beater in their group. They don't have one of the big heavyweights. Norway is a pretty good team, and Switzerland obviously will not be easily will not be an easy match at all. But these aren't teams that are like we don't have a USA, we don't have a Netherlands, we don't have an England. None of them are in New Zealand's group. So New Zealand should at least be optimistic that they'll be in the mix, right? Whether or not they make it to the knockout rounds, we'll have to wait and see. But they should at least be in it on the final match day. Norway, we'll get to them next. So Norway are probably the favorites in this group. I think they just have the best player group out of all four of these teams. That's uh, led by their, uh, their couple of superstars up front. Unfortunately for Norway, though, their recent results haven't been great. Last summer at the European Championships, they lost 8-0 to England and failed to get out of the group. Not exactly the kind of form you're hoping to have going into a World Cup, especially because that group at the Euros was very, like, maybe not winnable for them, but, like, they should have gotten out of the group, and they didn't, and it was kind of embarrassing for them. So, we'll see. We'll see when it comes to Norway, because they, they definitely left a lot to be desired at the European Championships, but they have a lot of star talent, and they're probably the favorites in this group. But of course, by the time you're listening to this, that Norway-New Zealand game will be very important, at least in my opinion, to helping establish who might get first in this group. Switzerland is next. So Switzerland, they finished second in their qualifying group behind Italy and advanced as one of the best second place teams into the World Cup. They split their games against the Italians as well, which is pretty impressive. Italy is one of the better teams in this tournament. And at the Euros, they actually played the Netherlands and Sweden both pretty tight in those games. They didn't win, but those are two really good teams that they got, you know, half decent results against. You know, they lost, but they were close. And again, Sweden and the, and the Netherlands are not in this group. Norway is not of that caliber, at least in my opinion, and New Zealand definitely isn't, and the Philippines isn't either. So, for Switzerland, I think there's optimism that they can get out of this group, either in first or second. And obviously, again, those games between Norway, between New Zealand, and between Switzerland will all be very important in this group, so make sure you keep an eye out for those. The Philippines, to finish off with them, unfortunately for them, like I mentioned, probably a tough tournament for them. I don't think they'll get blown out. I don't think this is going to be a Thailand situation from the 2019 World Cup, where Thailand got killed like 13-0 against the United States. I don't think that's going to happen with the Philippines, but it is going to be tough. The Philippines, this is their first ever World Cup, and, you know, it's, it's hard for first-time teams especially because the depth in women's football isn't at the same level that it is in men's football. I hope it gets there eventually, but right now it's not. And it's there's a really big gap between the good teams and the bad teams, and that's just the way it's been. That largely has to do with a lot of different factors, including 
finances and opportunities and things like that. And obviously, slowly, I think we're starting to bridge the gap more and more. But this is also the first time the World Cup's going to have 32 teams. So inevitably, there are going to be, you know, some weaker teams that probably are just happy to be there. And unfortunately, I think the Philippines is probably one of these teams. But of course, it is a World Cup. Never say never. So, players to watch in this group. Gabby Rennie is my player to watch for New Zealand. By the way, if I butcher any of these names, I sincerely apologize. I really don't mean to. I just, you know, I speak Spanish, I speak English, and I speak a little bit of Finnish. And so if it's not in one of those three languages, I might butcher the name. And so I apologize in advance if I do. Rennie is a promising young player for this New Zealand team and one that if New Zealand's going to make it out of the group, she will probably need to be an important factor in that because she's a player that can score goals for them and New Zealand have really struggled to score goals. So ultimately, you know, if you're looking for a player that could make the difference between getting out of the group and not getting out of the group for this team, I think it's her. My next player to watch is Ada Hegerberg of Norway. She is the best player on that team. She is also a Ballon d'Or winner and the all-time champions leading goal scorer. She is one of the superstars in this Norwegian team and she will be relied on a lot, especially because Norway doesn't really have a lot of depth in their squad, but Hegerberg is one of the best players in the world and you know, if they're going to get out of the group, she will have to be an important factor for them. For Switzerland, my player to watch is Ramona Bachmann. She is a striker for PSG, and she is Switzerland's best goal scorer. And, you know, like a lot of these other teams, you know, she's a player that if they're going to get out of the group, she will probably be an important reason why they do. So that's a big player to keep an eye on for them. And then for the Philippines... I have Serena Bolden. So she is an, an, she's an exciting goal scorer who just so happens to play in the A-League in Australia. So she's pretty close to home as far as where she plays her club football. And she's a young player that, you know, could absolutely, you know, if, if the Philippines are to pull off an upset of some kind, Bolden could absolutely be a reason why they do that. So those are the players to watch in this group. And that is Group A. Moving on to Group B. In Group B, we have Australia, Canada, Nigeria, and the Republic of Ireland. This group has been named the Group of Death. I'm not sure if there's a true group, group of death in this World Cup, but this is definitely the closest one. So let's start with the co-host, Australia. Australia come into this tournament with really big expectations. They have a very talented team, and despite some inconsistent results, they have a lot to be optimistic about in this tournament. Australia ended up doing sort of poorly at the Asian Cup recently, which was last summer. But since then, they went on to win the Cup of Nations, and they ended England's 30-game unbeaten streak. They also beat France in a friendly later, uh, or just before the World Cup started. So, I mean, that's pretty good. Like, Australia, they clearly have the capability of making a really deep run in this tournament, maybe even going all the way. The question is, can they put it all together and be consistent over the course of the tournament? And the, the answer is, we just don't know. But again, just like I talked about with New Zealand, don't discount the home home field advantage. 
they're at home, their fans are going to be behind them. In fact, there was a story I saw that the original stadium for the opening game for Australia, it was supposed to be somewhere else, but they ended up moving it to a bigger stadium because there was just such a big ticket demand for the Matildas. That's the nickname of their team. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot to be excited about if you're Australian. This is the first time Australia's ever gotten to host a World Cup. It's a really big deal, and I'm very excited to see how their team does. I think they have a very talented team. And again, if they're able to bring it all together, they have a group that could go all the way. Next up, we have Canada, my home country, where I live. So, Canada. You know, I'd love to talk about the Canadian women's national team and how impressive they've been over the last little while, but there's a really big story that hangs over this team like a big rain cloud, and I can't ignore it. So I'm going to talk about it for a few minutes. The Canadian Soccer Association. So, here's the story. It's kind of a long story, and I'm going to leave out some details. That's inevitable. If you want to look it up more, I recommend you do. But basically, the Canada Soccer Association, who run both the men's and women's national teams, they're kind of broke. And I know what you're thinking. How could a soccer federation be broke? How are they out of money? How is that possible? The women's team is more successful than it's ever been. The men's team just made a World Cup. How do they have no money? And that's a great question. You know, that's a really, really great question. Unfortunately, the answer is very upsetting. So it's not like a one-size-fits-all answer, but there's a couple of main reasons why Canada soccer doesn't have any money. The first one being straight-up incompetence. When I say incompetence, I mean the people running Canada soccer don't have a lot of vision for their program, and they don't have the most brain power. And when I say that, I mean capitalizing on opportunities that present themselves where they could make money. The biggest one being kits. So, as most of you know who watched the Men's World Cup, Canada was the only team on the men's side that did not have a World Cup-specific jersey. They were the only ones. Canada was the only team without one. And it's because Canada soccer didn't uh, budget for one and didn't, like, get one going with Nike, like, beforehand. Like, how does that happen? How stupid do you have to be to not, like, have, I don't know, like, switch kit providers or something? Just how do you not have a kit for the World Cup? That, that bothered me a lot, as you can tell. And so, anyway, that was a big missed opportunity because I know so many Canadians who would have liked to buy a Canadian World Cup jersey. But there were no World Cup jerseys last year. Like how, I don't know. Anyway, sorry, that's number one, incompetence. So we got that down, Canada soccer, a lot of incompetent people have been running that program. All right, on to number two, the CSB deal. So for those of you that don't know the CSB deal, it is the Canada soccer business deal. So Canada soccer business is a group it's a group of people that run the Canadian Premier League, which is the domestic league here in Canada, the men's one. They don't have a women's one, but that's a whole other can of worms that uh, I don't have time to get into in this episode. But this group, Canada Soccer Business, runs the Canadian Premier League on the men's side. So this group of people, Canada Soccer Business, 
they went to Canada Soccer in, I believe it was 2018. And at the time, Canada Soccer, they wanted, like, security. And so they wanted, like, a consistent, you know, flat income that they could rely on every single year. So they made a deal with Canada Soccer Business, and they got a flat income for every single year. And in exchange, this Canada, this group Canada Soccer Business would get the money from advertising and sponsorships in regards to the national teams. So I want to preface that like this agreement at the time made some sense. In hindsight, it looks awful. But at the time, it made some sense because the amount of money that Canada Soccer were given, even though we don't have specifics, it was apparently more than they were making previously. Unfortunately, since that time, what has happened to the Canadian national team programs? Well, the Canadian women's team went on to win the gold medal at the Olympics, and the Canadian men's team made their first World Cup since 1986. So why does that matter? Well, it matters because when you have the success that the national teams have had, it means that they're going to be playing more games, and probably rightfully so, the players are going to ask for a bigger share of the pie, which makes sense, right? The players believe that, you know, they're the ones who are the most important as far as like bringing success, and they want to see a bigger share of that in pay, which you can't like, if you're working a job and it was your efforts that largely brought in a bunch of new money to your company, you would like to see that, right? And usually that comes in forms of raises and stuff like that. Well, the problem with this Canada Soccer business deal is that because Canada Soccer has a flat income every year, so every year they get the same amount of money no matter what, well, what happens when costs go up? Ooh, okay, well, if costs go up and our income stays the same, now that's where we get our you know, money problems and we run out of money because, of course, now our expenses are a lot higher than they were anticipating and that means you know we have no money anymore so they've been trying to supposedly renegotiate the CSB deal but so far it doesn't seem to hasn't seemed to be going very far with this but it sucks because now Canada soccer is broke the women's team has had their funding cut in a World Cup year which to me is completely unacceptable and they're like asking FIFA for bailouts. Like this is, as a Canadian, I'm incredibly embarrassed by Canada soccer because uh, I just, yeah. Anyway, back to the incompetence, back to the incompetence thing. It's just very frustrating as a Canadian. And so the women's team, I hope, can put all the distractions and all the nonsense off the field behind them. I hope. Because on the field, they have a really good chance to make a deep run in this thing. They're the Olympic champions. They have a really good team. They have a lot of really good players. But I don't know. Like, this is... It's always a bad sign when you have distractions like this, going into the, going into a tournament like this. I don't like it. And I just... I do believe Canada gets out of this group. I just... I have a bad feeling that they might not go as far as they are capable of. And this might be... A reason why they don't as far as Canada's actual like credentials though I mean 
this is an exciting team. They the only big player they're kind of missing is Janine Becky, who unfortunately tore her ACL. But Canada has a very good team. They have one of the best goalkeepers in the world in Kaylin Sheridan. And of course, they have Christine Sinclair, who I'm gonna talk more about a little later. All right, on to the next teams, because there are two other teams in this group. So we'll start with Nigeria, who unfortunately, like Canada, are also dealing with nonsense off the field. So here's the deal with Nigeria. So Nigeria has typically been like Africa's strongest team, usually anyway. And they have a couple of really good players. In fact, their best player is one of the best strikers in the world. Unfortunately, Nigeria's situation right now is that the Nigerian Federation has supposedly told the players they will not be paid their match bonuses for the World Cup. So I need to outline this because this might get a little confusing, but I'm going to explain in the best way I can what this means. So the players going to the World Cup this year are getting paid in two different ways. So there is a money that they're getting from FIFA, which is like just for showing up, they get money from FIFA. And then they also get paid their match like fees for from their federation. Unfortunately, um, the Nigerian federation is not paying those match bonuses that they're supposed to pay to the players. So the players would only get the money that they're supposed to get from FIFA. And that's it. And the Nigerian players, rightfully so I should add, are very upset about this because why wouldn't they be if your employer was trying to withhold like withhold pay from you I mean you'd be upset too like this is it's it's beyond stupid but yeah so the Nigerian team they've been very upset there was also apparently a thought of boycotting the games it seems like that isn't gonna happen but of course We'll wait and see what happens tomorrow as far as the game goes with the Nigeria-Canada game because there was a thought that they might boycott the game, which would be incredibly sad, but I'd also understand because the Nigerian women's team, what they're having to deal with right now with that federation is beyond upsetting. And this would never happen in the men's team. This would never, ever happen in the men's team. It's 100% incompetence, sexism, and every other label you want to put on this. There's no other way to sugarcoat it. Like, what on earth is happening with the Nigerian Federation? Like, grow a pair, honestly. Like, just stop being awful, okay? Pay your players. They put in the work. They made the World Cup. Pay your players. Simple as that. Nigeria, as far as their chances go, and again... I wish I could just talk more about the results, but I have to mention these as well. Nigeria, it's going to be tough for them because obviously Canada and Australia are probably the favorites in this group. But like I mentioned, they do have some really good players. And, you know, don't be surprised if maybe there's an upset or two in this group because Nigeria and the other team in this group, the Republic of Ireland, I believe are both capable of pulling off upsets. It doesn't mean it's super likely to happen, but of all the groups... If you had to pick, like, the non-favorites to potentially do an upset in advance, I think this is the group that you would pick the teams from. All right, on to the Republic of Ireland. So, they ended up finishing second place in their qualifying group and advancing as one of those best second-place teams. The Republic of Ireland might be newcomers, but they definitely won't be pushovers in this tournament, and they have lots of players playing in the different big leagues 
around the world. So they will not be an easy opponent by any means. And apparently they had a friendly with Colombia, which had to be canceled because of rough play. So something to keep an eye on. It might not, uh, might, you might not come out of that game a hundred percent, uh, hundred percent, like, you know, injury free playing this Irish team. That's, you know, they're not gonna, they're not gonna be pushed over in this tournament at all. Ireland will fight. They will try to get the results they can. And who knows, maybe they can even pull off an upset and advance to the knockouts. So, like I said, Canada and Australia should be the favorites in this group, but don't be surprised if we get, you know, an upset or two in this group as well. Nigeria and Ireland are both very capable. On to the players to watch. So, for Australia, it has to be Sam Kerr. Sam Kerr is the best player in... Pro yeah, I would say the best player in Matilda's history. She is one of the best strikers, one of the best players, just period, in the world. She plays for Chelsea, and Sam Kerr, like, she scores goals for fun. That's how good she is. And if Australia is going to make a deep run in this thing, I have a good feeling Sam Kerr is going to be in the running for the golden boot. For Canada, it has to be Christine Sinclair. Christine Sinclair is easily one of the best stories going into this tournament. She is playing in her sixth World Cup, as I mentioned in my shallow preview. And Sinclair... She has been the beacon of leadership for this Canadian national team program. She has been everything and then some as a captain, as a leader, as just an inspiration. What she did in the Olympics in 2012 against the United States was incredible. What she helped Canada achieve semifinal appearance in one of her first World Cups, like that's amazing. Sinclair has been there, done that. But... She finally got the Olympic gold she'd been seeking. She's missing one major trophy case. One major trophy from her trophy case. The World Cup. I hope she can do it. I'll be rooting for her, obviously, because, you know, rooting for Canada. But All right, next player. Asisat Oshala. Again, I really apologize if I butcher names. She is the striker for Nigeria who plays for Barcelona. She happens to be one of the best strikers in the world. Was also on the Ballon d'Or nomine nominee list. She's an amazing player. And Barcelona have had a lot of success in the Champions League and places like that. And she is one of the big reasons why. So, player to watch for Nigeria. And then finally, we have Denise O'Sullivan from the Republic of Ireland. She is a midfielder for the North Carolina Courage in the NWSL. Um, for those of you that don't know, by the way, in women's football, as far as the club game goes, League One in France, I think, is probably considered the best league in the world, but La Liga in Spain is really good. The German League is definitely on the rise. The uh, Super League in England is really good. And then the NWSL in the United States is also really good. Those are kind of the big five leagues in women's football. And so Denise O'Sullivan, she is a two-time NWSL champion and a very important midfielder for North Carolina. She is one of the key cogs in this team. She also apparently got hurt in that friendly that I mentioned earlier in this uh, in this episode. So here's keeping my fingers crossed that she's good to go and ready to play at the World Cup. Because, of course, injuries suck, period. 
All right, on to Group C. Group C has Japan, Spain, Costa Rica, and Zambia. This group, Japan and Spain, definitely are probably the heavy favorites to get out. But, you know, don't totally discount the other two teams, but also, like, it would be surprising if it wasn't Japan or Spain. So, let's start with Spain. Spain have also off-the-field issues, but it's not quite the same as Canada and Nigeria. It's a little different. So, Spain come into this World Cup on the back of a kind of mutiny in the player squad. So, basically, there was a group of 15 players that basically came out and said that they will not play for Spanish coach Jorge Vilda. And they just would never play for the national team again, as long as he was the coach. That's what they said. So, what has happened since then? Well, the Spanish team decided to drop those 15 players and just go ahead playing, like, different squads. They've kept the coach on. Since that time, though, three of the players have returned to the team for the World Cup. Atiana Bonmati, Mariona Caldente, and Ona Battle. Those three have all come back. So... Not sure if, like, I don't know. There's a lot of information here that I just don't have, and it's probably better if you look it up, but we have three players that have come back, so we still have 12 players that are on the outs. But the big news for Spain is the return of the best player in the world, two-time Ballon d'Or winner, Alexia Puteas. Puteas has won the last two Ballon d'Ors. She is one of... Well, she is probably the best player in the world right now, despite coming off an ACL injury, which is notable because, you know, we'll see if she's at full fitness for this World Cup. She was able to return for Barcelona at the end of the season. But, of course, you know, being able to play at a World Cup with so many games in so few days, it's it's a lot on the on the body, especially, you know, she's year one recovering from ACL as Speaking as someone from experience who has had two ACL surgeries, it is year two of the ACL that's usually when you feel like more 100%. Year one, you can come back and play, but year two is usually when you feel 100%. So something to keep an eye on with her. I'll talk more about her in the players to watch section, but Spain, probably the favorites in this group. But of course, you know, when you have off the field issues, who knows how that translates within the squad and we'll have to wait and see. So, Japan. Japan have fallen off a little bit since winning the World Cup in 2011 and making the final in 2015. Japan was very impressive during the Asian Cup, but unfortunately they lost in the semifinals to the eventual champion China. And, you know, Japan, like, they just don't quite have the same, like, quality in their side that they used to have in the earlier part of the last decade. But... They're still a good team, and, you know, they beat Canada 3 to nothing, like, pretty recently in the She Believes Cup, and so, you know, I think the Japanese, they have a pretty good defense, and ultimately, they will not be easy to beat no matter what, and I do expect them to make the knockout rounds and at least challenge Spain for top spot in this group. And then we have Costa Rica and Zambia. So... Both of these teams, it will be definitely tough for both because you're facing an uphill battle when the, the quality and players and things like that just, you know, there's quite a gap there. But it's a World Cup. 
never say never. Costa Rica made the semifinals at the CONCACAF Women's Championship, but unfortunately when they played Canada and the United States, they lost 5-0 combined in the two games. And in CONCACAF, you have Canada and the United States and everybody else. That's just kind of how it is in women's football. So, I mean, props to them for beating the other teams, but it's still going to be really tough for Costa Rica. And so we'll see how it goes. But when they've played better opposition, it hasn't gone super well for them. And then we have Zambia. So Zambia was really impressive in the Women's Africa Cup of Nations, finishing third. Unfortunately, though, African football just isn't at the level of these other confederations. Like, Asian football for the women's side is a lot higher quality, and European football, obviously, and then as well, like, the other confederations. In men's football, Africa's quality has shown, as we saw with Morocco at the 2022 World Cup. Unfortunately, on the women's side, there's still a long way to go with the depth of the African program. I'm hoping, though, with more and more World Cup appearances and hopefully more investment and more awareness and funding and all these other things, you know, women's football can continue to grow in Africa and continue to be a a more prevalent force, you know? And I don't know if, like, it'll ever get to the same point as it does the men's football right and there's a lot of social reasons for that but um unfortunately just you know there's a lot of sexism in society still no matter where you go so that's always an uphill battle but i do hope african football can continue to grow and zambia just being in the world cup is a good thing and so we'll see how they do it'll be a tough tournament for them but of course you know i think they will fancy their chances against costa rica and you never know Maybe there's an upset waiting in the cards. Players to watch. So, for Spain, it's Alexia Botellas, the two-time Ballon d'Or winner. She will be absolutely huge for the Spanish team. She got hurt before the European Championships last summer, and so Spain did not have her. And despite that, they still played pretty well. They took England to extra time in the quarterfinals. So, this Spanish team is good, and they're getting their superstar back should be exciting the next player to watch i have fuka nagano for the japanese national team she won both the u17 and the u20 world cup with japan and now she will be hoping to do the same at the professional level with the with the national team with the senior national team so she is a player that clearly can perform in these big tournaments It's obviously a step up when you go from the U17 and U20 up to the senior level. But of course, big game players are big game players. So someone to keep an eye on. Next up, I have Raquel Rodriguez for Costa Rica. She is an attacker that plays in the NWSL and is the all-time leading goal scorer for Costa Rica. So if Costa Rica is to pull off an upset in this tournament, she will probably be a main reason why they do. And then finally, we have Barbara Banda. Banda actually became very famous because at the at the Olympics a couple years ago in Tokyo, she ended up scoring two hat tricks at the Olympics, the first time that's ever happened in women's football. And, I mean, that's no easy feat to score two hat tricks, even if Zambia didn't get out of the group. So two hat tricks in three games. She clearly is a very, very talented striker. Obviously, you need a whole team. It can't just be one player. But, you know, 
you get a couple early goals, you never know. Maybe you can get a result. So she will be the player to watch for the Zambian national team. All right. On to Group D. We have England, China, Denmark, and Haiti. Let's start with England. England are the European champions. They won the Euros last summer on home soil, and they're also just one of the best teams in the world. So the expectations for England, very, very high. In fact, you know, despite the injuries they have, I think they're still expected to at least like make the semifinals slash make the final or just win the whole, the whole thing. The injuries thing, though, does matter. And England, unfortunately, are the biggest, uh, let's call them victims, of the injury crisis that seems to be going on in women's football, especially with ACL injuries and things like that. It's one of those things that like, I hope they can put more research into and study more. But I also just think it largely probably has to do with scheduling because women's football has now gotten so popular, especially at the highest levels, that a lot of these players are playing similar schedules to the men. And you might say, oh, that's great. That's awesome for equality. And on one hand, it is. On the other hand, though, the men have been playing way too many games for the better part of two decades now where like a lot of these players play like 80 plus games a year and that is way too many games and you see a lot of these players start to get injured and the problem with the with the women's players is that they're not always necessarily like given access to the same kind of treatment that the men's players are so now that a lot of these top end players are starting to play like these really really compact schedules with tons of games in a season you start to see kind of the knock-on effect, I think, with these injuries. Now, that's not the only reason these things are happening, but I just think that's probably a big factor why. So for England, we have the um, European Championship's best player who won the, like, basically tournament MVP, Beth Mead. She is out with an ACL, sadly. And Leah Williamson and Fran Kirby are also out for England. Two also really important players. Leah, uh, Leah Williamson's probably their best center back. And Fran Kirby was their number 10, their creative playmaker. So, yeah, it might be tough uh, without those three. But fortunately, England does have a lot of depth. And so there are players ready to step up in their place. But... It is tough when you lose three of your best players. And, of course, they lost their striker, Ellen White, to retirement. So a lot of new shoes, like new faces to fill in shoes on this English team. And, you know, there's going to be a lot riding on them because, of course, being the European champions, there's a lot of expectations that come with that. However, despite all of this, England should probably cruise through this group. China and Denmark and Haiti just in my opinion, aren't of the caliber to really challenge a team like England despite their injuries. So England should probably get through this group without too many issues. It's when they face the good teams that we might see these issues pop up that they don't have for their best players. On to the next two teams. So Denmark and China, these two are probably in a similar spot just because I think both of them will feel very strong that they can make the round of 16. Whether or not they do comes down largely to their individual matchup because Denmark versus China, in my opinion, will be the most important game in this group to determining who gets out with England. 
We'll start with China. China is actually one of the most successful women's teams in Asia. And despite the fact that they've only made this, like they haven't made the semifinals since 1999, China has made the round of 16 several times and the quarterfinals several times. So they're actually a pretty successful nation when it comes to the Women's World Cup. China also won the Asian Cup in 2022. They beat Japan on penalties in the semifinals, as I mentioned earlier, and then they went on to beat South Korea in the final. So this Chinese team, despite maybe not having a ton of star power in it, is very solid all around. And most importantly, they know how to win big games in big tournaments. This is a tournament-type team, and you can never, ever discount the Chinese. They are very good at getting results in these big tournaments. And that does mean something. Like, being a tournament team really does mean something, even if, you know, they don't have the star power that England does or maybe some of these other teams, but it's like, yeah, but we just have good players throughout the team, right, even if we don't have a superstar. And then we have Denmark. So Denmark ended a disappointing European Championships in third. They ended up getting killed by Germany. And, you know, Finland was the only team they actually beat. But they will at least take, like, some pride in the fact that they went unbeaten in qualifying. So there's some optimism there. There's also some concern, I think, with this Danish team. But there's no doubt that... You know, they are capable of getting results, especially against the teams that they feel they should beat. And so, Denmark-China will be a very interesting one to watch. Haiti is the last team in this group. Haiti, unfortunately, is probably, like the Philippines, probably just happy to be there, unfortunately. And I hate saying that. I hate saying that about any team in the World Cup. But Haiti is another team that's qualifying for the first time ever. They had to go through the intercontinental playoffs in order to qualify for this tournament. And they beat Senegal and they beat Chile in those two games to make it to their first Women's World Cup, which is a tremendous deal. Like, all of these countries that are making it for the first time, they should be celebrated for the achievements that are very impressive. Like, these nations deserve all the praise for that. It's just unfortunate that, like, you know, that's probably as good as it gets because the chance of them getting out of the group just seems very small. Not impossible, but certainly pretty small. So we'll see. When it comes to Haiti, like the biggest reason I think for concern is just that when they played the United States and when they played Jamaica in their group in CONCACAF, they lost 7-0 combined. Denmark and China aren't exactly the, of like the United States caliber, but they're definitely at least of Jamaica's caliber. And if you can't beat a team like Jamaica and you lose pretty badly to them, that's not great. And it doesn't bode well either for this team going up against England, who do have like similar quality to the United States. So yeah, tough group for them. But again, they should feel very proud of what they've already accomplished. And like I've mentioned before several times, you never know. In these tournaments like this, there are always, always upsets all right on to the players to watch so Kira Walsh is my player to watch for England she is a star midfielder she was one of the best players in the European final against Germany that they ended up winning last summer she's also a star midfielder that plays for Barcelona and was recently on the Ballon d'Or nominee, nominee list Wang Shangshan is the player to watch for China 
She was the best player at the Asian Cup, having to play multiple positions, which is very, very impressive. And she will be very, very important for this team. I mean, you know, she had to play, like, defense, and she was also the leading scorer in the Asian Cup, which you don't see very often, but it's just the Chinese team, they needed her to do, you know, a little bit of everything for them because she was really important. So... Very versatile player, one to keep an eye on. Next up, we have Pernille Harder for Denmark. She is probably their best goal scorer and the player that is the most likely to make the difference in a close game and potentially help them get out of the group. And then finally, for Haiti, I have Melchi Dumornay. She is an exciting player that recently signed with Lyon. And for those of you that are a little unfamiliar with the women's club game, Lyon has been one of the best teams in the world for the better part of a decade. And they won four of the most recent Champions Leagues. Not this past year, but they've, they won four in a row like pretty recently. So the fact that this player is signing with Lyon means that she clearly is very, very talented. Now, you know, talent alone can't you know fulfill a player's career but she is a player that could certainly be an exciting one to watch at the women's world cup and so that's it that's all i got for part one of my two-part preview i had to split it in two parts because obviously we're approaching almost 50 minutes now and so this is kind of a long episode and instead of having you know an hour and a half long episode how about let's just split into part one and part two. Part two will have group E, group F, group G, and group H. That will be coming out, I hope, on Friday. I hope on Friday I can release that. It'll just depend. My schedule's kind of a little crazy right now. But thank you so much for listening, you guys. And the Women's World Cup kicks off. Let's get excited. The World Cup is starting. I'm very excited. And I'm about to go watch Norway versus New Zealand, the opening game of the tournament. Very, very excited. Be on the lookout for part two. I will also have a live reaction to the first few games. I hope Thursday night. We'll have to wait and see. But I will have live reactions all tournament long, so be on the lookout for that. And despite the time zone difference here in Canada versus Australia and New Zealand, I will try my best to watch as many games as I can live. It will be impossible to watch every single game live because, you know, I'm not a person. Like, I, I need sleep. I'm not, like, a robot zombie. But I will try to watch as many games as I can live. And for those games that I can't watch live, I will try to watch them after the fact as soon as possible. All right? So, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of The World's Game, a World Cup podcast. The music is from Pixabay. There will be new episodes throughout the Women's World Cup, so make sure you subscribe and don't miss a moment of the 2023 World Cup.